A new research released by the Daily Bread Food Bank says the number of food bank visits directly rises with increases in rent. This is some really eye-opening research in just one of a number of findings uh, that was uh, conducted. Uh, this research was uh, conducted by both the Food Bank and the University of Calgary. And joining us more, uh, joining us now to break down this a little more is Neil Hetherington, CEO of the Daily Bread Food Bank, who's on the line and joins us. Neil, good afternoon. Appreciate your time. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. Uh, break this down for us a little further, if you could. Uh, just how are rent and food bank visits, how are they connected? Yeah, um, it, it really was a re- an interesting study from, uh, from Dr. Kneebone. Um, maybe, Jeff, if it's okay, I wouldn't mind just backing up one second and just sort of saying, you know, from an overall sector perspective, we have seen in Toronto food bank usage go from about 55,000 visits monthly to this past month, about 130,000 food bank visits. And so when we had this mass escalation, we were asking the question, okay, what interventions, what things could be done in order to start to reduce the lineup? And that's where this study came in. And so to your first question, you know, the correlation between rent increases and food bank usage, what we saw was that if there is a $30 rent increase universally, what would that do to the lineups outside food banks? And the answer is a startling 70,000 additional food bank visits. So our food bank visits will be just under 2 million. And, and so we looked at uh, we looked at rent increases, but we also looked at income variances. So what would it what would happen if there was a change to income support? What would happen if there was a change to uh, minimum wages? And uh, and the results were really interesting. Yeah, and delve into that a little more if you could for us too, Neil, because you're right, that is interesting because not only is there a correlation between rent increases and an increase in food bank visits, but I understand there's also a correlation between an increase of jump in the minimum wage and food bank visits actually going down? Exactly. So uh, for every dollar that minimum wage increases, there's about a uh, 35,000 client visit reduction annually. And then what what happens is you get to this point where it becomes uh, not a linear equation. And uh, so here's sort of the the good news, I would say. Um, If minimum wage was set to a living wage, and so economists generally think that in Toronto, a living wage should be about $22 an hour. If we were able to get to that, we would have about a quarter million less food bank visits annually. So, um, you know, that is something for uh, from a policy perspective that we hold out to all levels of government, in this case, to the provincial government. And we say, if that if, if we do bring minimum wage up to a living wage, here's the corresponding effect. Is this an opportunity that you would like to seize? Uh, when it came to disability, that was another one that was was really interesting, where um, an individual who's on disability will have about $1,149 a month to survive on. And nobody can survive in Toronto on that, uh, that amount of money. Just a $15 increase. So bring that up uh, by $15 to, um, to 11, $1,164 uh, a month that would result in 54,000 fewer visits annually to the Daily Bread Food Bank. 
So we're hopeful that when we go through all these different policy levers, these little changes that could be made, that the uh, uh, the, the three levels of government would uh, would say, what can we do? and uh, implement them because right now, you know, with, with just under 2 million visits this year, it's not sustainable for the Daily Bread's volunteers, donors, and supporters. Um, we need to fundamentally look at the systems to be able to reduce those lineups. And really uh, coming out of this research, uh, Neil, is maybe uh, the biggest takeaway exactly that, uh, kind of what you have been detailing, what this research shows is that government policy decisions made by our governments at various levels does have an impact it does impact the food bank yeah you know every year we issue the who's hunger report and we tell uh we tell everyone in the city here's what's happening with food bank usage and here's uh here's who's uh, uh having to turn to food banks what are the demographics so we know that we we had been recommending for uh, for years policy initiatives. So we know who's been affected. We know the policy initiatives. And here's the third piece that we've kind of overlaid into our, our research department, which is what are the corresponding outcomes to to these uh, uh, to these questions? So we can draw lines in correlations between social policies and people not having to go to food banks. And, and ultimately, we don't want anybody to be going to a food bank. We want to be obsolete. And, uh, and I, I look forward to, uh, to one day hopefully celebrating that. And towards that goal and on that road, what is uh, maybe uh, the one uh, lever? Is there a, a, the biggest lever? Is there a biggest lever that government at any level could pull right now? And I'm just wondering about some of the things we've seen over the last couple of months. I know the B.C. provincial government, they recently increased their minimum wage. Would that make a big difference, the biggest difference here in Ontario? Or is it something else, do you think, Neil? I think there's three things. Um, so one is making sure that there's decent, affordable housing. Um, I, I believe that there needs to be sort of a, a Marshall plan of rebuilding uh, affordable housing in this country. I think it was a mistake in the 90s when uh, federally we, uh, we moved away from, uh, from the uh, ongoing development that, of affordable housing. So we need to get that uh, in place. The second is the income supports. So, uh, so making sure that we've got uh, you know, those who are on disability, those who are on OW should not be legislated to live in, uh, in poverty. And the third uh, aspect is what you were just talking about in terms of minimum wage, uh, making sure there's decent pathways to employment. So it's, it's not only minimum wage, it's making sure that we ask questions about should it be advisable that we have, you know, individuals who have to cobble together two or three part-time jobs without benefits just to get by. I, I just fundamentally believe that somebody working full time ought to be able to live in this uh, this city. And uh, right now, that's not the case. All right. Just finally, where does this research go next? What's your next steps uh, here for the Daily Bread uh, Food Bank? Is this something that uh, you're trying to bring to the attention of uh, lawmakers, politicians, our leaders? Uh, our, our next steps is, uh, you know, conversations like you and I are having um, so that uh, listeners will hopefully uh, indicate to each level of government, all three levels of government have a poverty reduction strategy. And my hope is that they will implement the, the, those strategies. Um, my, uh, we will be at Daily Bread working with um, our counterparts, uh, not only provincially, but across the country to be able to, uh, to keep that message uh, strong and alive during upcoming elections so that we can see uh, policy shifts 
uh, result in uh, in food banks across the country uh, reducing or be, becoming obsolete at some point. All right. Some really interesting findings and important conversation. Neil, thank you so much for taking the time here on this Friday with us. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right. Be well. Neil Hetherington is the CEO of the Daily Bread Food Bank. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.